This audio production is brought to you by TheBestDayEver.com, David Wolf's premium longevity member site. Hello, my name is David Wolf, and I am here with Dr. George Yu, who has 25 years' experience in surgical medicine. Dr. Yu will be one of the speakers at our Longevity Now conference event at the Orange County Hilton in Costa Mesa, California, Friday, April 1st through Sunday, April 3rd, 2011. He'll be talking about hormonal health in both men and women. Listen closely to what Dr. Yu has to say. He is probably the world's foremost expert on hormones and sex hormones and their relationship to longevity, anti-aging, and health. The basic premise is that in the old days, we used to think that sex hormones were only for reproduction. And what's happened is that we, in the last 30 years, have done so much research that we know that sex hormones affect every organ in your body and it prevents you from getting sick in, as you age past your reproductive usefulness. Sex hormones is very primal. It is very related to your primal self. And your primal self has only two goals, to survive and to procreate as much as you can. The problem is that most of us are living three to four times past our reproductive years. So you can live this way in pain, or you can ease the pain by giving the sex hormones back so that your bones, your muscles, your brain function properly. In men, testosterone goes down with age, and the estrogen goes up, the estradiol. For women, the estradiol peaks out and then drops as you go through menopause. But the more important thing is that the balance between estradiol and progesterone is lost. The progesterone should be about 100 to 200 times higher than your estradiol. And when you lose that, you begin the process of deterioration. And when the progesterone is not dominating over estradiol and you have what they call estrogen dominance, you heard of it, you will have much more risk for breast cancer, for uterine cancer, fibroid cysts of the breast, fibroid of the uterus, etc. But more important than anything else for women, the brain function is not as it could be. Okay, so that's the basic premise in which I start. Now, the problem is that, you know, Dave, the problem that we see is when you have a dominant sex hormones like estradiol, a lot of things happen. Let me ask you about estradiol, because estradiol is, is a good hormone. It's a good estrogen, isn't it? Excellent. But if left alone without estriol and estrone around, and if left alone without progesterone, it will give the signal to the primitive self that you are ready to go and make a baby. But if you're not ovulating, bad things happen. Progesterone, after you go through menopause, is gone. Why is that? Because when you ovulate, the corpus luteum, which is the residual of the ovary expelling, is the only major source of progesterone. And progesterone 
quiets things down. Estradiol alone is proliferative. It makes everything grow. Mm-hmm. Breast grows, the uterine lining grows, and the progesterone says, hold on a second, take it easy, cool down. And that's why when the progesterone is in contact with the breast of a estrogen-dominant person, the breast vascularity goes down, and the epithelial cells stop becoming so active. Therefore, less risk of breast cancer. And so, essentially, progesterone, and I assume testosterone to some degree in women, and testosterone in men, opposes estrogen. That's basically the idea that you're saying here. Right. Every sex hormone can be overproduced, and every sex hormone has to be balanced. It goes as far as when pregnant women who have hypothyroidism go into their pregnancy, their thyroid function will no longer work as well as it did before, and we have to actually give them a higher dose of thyroid medications just to compensate for this estrogen dominant. When a woman has too much estradiol, she will have migraine headaches. Mm. Okay? She will have problems. She will have swelling. She will have swelling of the breast. She will swell her. She will salt retain. And she'll get very food fluctuant. Mm-hmm. In other words, a moment happy a moment crying. I have men who have too much estradiol and they cry at the silliest commercials on television. And this is an, this was some of my patients are just come back from Iraq war. These are men. Influence of these are, is very powerful. Very powerful. The nervous system and your endocrine system, you might say, are the messengers to the rest of the body and tells them what to do. We feel so strongly about testosterone as an anabolic hormone to protect you and protect the heart, protect the erectile tissues of the penis, that we know if your erectile tissues have atrophied and in those atrophied penises, we actually see fat. And I'll get into fat later on because that's a problem. Because, as you mentioned in some of your questions, what do we do about this aromatase? Yeah. Aromatase is in many cells, but abundant in fat cells. As a woman ages, she will make a lot of estradiol despite the ovaries failing, but she will not make progesterone. So now she becomes estrogen dominant. Whenever a woman starts gaining weight and she wants to eat sweets, you know she's estrogen dominant. When she's about to devour a box of chocolates and she's calling you, says, I can't help myself, you just put on a little progesterone cream or give her a lozenger and it stops. Now, let's talk a little bit. You're mentioning estradiol. Estriol is the most abundant sex hormones in female, but it is weaker, and it's not at all explosive like estradiol. That's okay. why we give estriol to many women, because it doesn't have all the side effects of estradiol. 
But if we give a woman a beauty, we give her estriol cream on the face, if we add the estradiol, she looks very much more attractive. Just with, just with hormones. That's right. That's why when the cosmetic companies come to me and they say, what can we make to make a woman beautiful? I said, this is beautiful stuff you have, but without the estriol or estradiol, just can't do it well. There's a whole issue about, you know, there's obviously aromatase is a big issue, and aromatase now you're saying is present in fat cells. I'm sure it's also present in the liver. Is that true as well? Right. That's right. There's a lot of places it's present, but the biggest one, of course, in our, in this country and in many parts of uh, the, what we call the industrialized world, we have too much food, we store fat, and the fat makes estradiol. It converts all the testosterone to estradiol. That's why men get breasts as they get older. What about estrone? The estrone is a byproduct of estradiol. It is the least favorable one. There's a few that are not so good. There's a few that are good. Okay? And, and we always feel that the estrone should be eliminated as soon as possible. And that oftentimes estrone sulfate is what is in the GI tract and can be reconverted to estradiol by bacteria and reabsorbed. We don't want that. That's why we use fiber. That's why you use bentonite. That's why we use charcoal. That's why we do anything to suck that stuff out. Question you had of dim indo 3 carbonyl, a basic weak aromatase inhibitors. The strongest one we have is what we call Femara, F E M A R A. The second one that we use a lot is called Arimidex. The Arimidex will stop the aromatase from functioning. And therefore, if we see a man who has two larger breasts, we will use the Arimidex one milligram, maybe once a week, and it is much more powerful than Indo-3-Carbonyl from pineapple or DIM. Now, Aromidex is like a pharmaceutical. What's it made out of? What's its starting? What's the starting material? Uh, it's a it's a it's a pure pharmaceutical. Okay, pure pharmaceutical. And it will block it. It will block the conversion, just like you know, alpha reductase. One and two will block testosterone from converting to dihydrotestosterone, which then affects the prostate. But my thesis has always been, you know, Dave, that testosterone itself, not the conversions, is the most potent hormone for muscles, including muscles that are not skeletal. The muscles you can't see is what's important. You know, my experience as a surgeon is that when we perform a castration on men for prostate cancer, they become fatigued immediately. Dave, if you could perform right now, if I do something to you, in two days you will not even be able to get up. You see men who are great athletes, after they pass a certain age, they can't do anything. They don't even want to clean the house. They don't even want to ride their motorcycles. They don't even want to fly their planes anymore. 
because of the severe fatigue they experience. And when we give them a shot of testosterone, bangle, within 48 hours, they're running. It's so powerful. My contention is that it is not just affecting the skeletal muscles, but how could it affect you that quickly? Well, it goes right to the big muscle called the heart. And it changes the oxidative phosphorylation, making ATPs in the mitochondria. So let's say you do give somebody testosterone, but you don't want it converting over to perhaps harmful form of testosterone, for example, too much DHT, or it converts over to bad estrogen. What's the strategy? I mean, is is everyone, at, say, let's say a male who's 65, and you give them testosterone, what's going to happen? Are they going con- to take that extra testosterone and use it? Is it going to be converted over? Can you do that safely over a long period of time, or is there a certain limit that you can give them? Well, let's put it this way, Dave. How old are you now? I'm 40. Okay, so as you approach from 35 on, you're losing 1% to 3% a year of testosterone, okay? By the time you're about 50, you will never recover the same testicular function of the latex cells as you did at age 20. So you're going to gain more weight because when you have less testosterone, you're going to make more fat automatically. So you want to replace it if you need it especially if you have symptoms. One of the clearest symptoms is low ejaculate volume, but there's a lot of other things. So you give them testosterone, but you have to monitor several things. Testosterone makes bone, it makes muscle, and it makes blood. You can make too much blood. So we tell our patients, you have to monitor that, and if it's too high, you've got to get rid of it. You've got to donate some blood. Now, if you have too much testosterone, some of it will convert to DHT. Does testosterone exogenous type cause prostate cancer? No, it does not. Right. So I've done the literature search. When I give the talk in uh, April, I think, I will have a bibliography for everybody to read. This bibliography is mainly for professionals, but I have a great belief that we must empower people who benefit from it with that kind of information. So I do that freely. But the thing is, if you give testosterone, will it change your prostate? Yes, it might make it a little bit bigger. Will it change the PSA? Most of it says no. I've seen some of it goes up. However, you can block it with alpha reductase, and you can block it with aromatase inhibitors. So you hit about things what that about you aromatase inhibitors, like like herbal aromatase inhibitors, like apigenin or quercetin or chrysin. Are those effective? Not as effective as arimidex. Okay. You know that's natural. However, in my practice, we always believe in food. We always take the first step of using natural substances. We always then go to supplement, and then we go to medications, and then we go to surgery if we need to. So I always tell people, the first thing you've got to do is for the women who have estrogen dominant or the men who have too much prostate, cut down on the sugar right away. Their hot flashes go away. 
okay? It, it, much, it lessens tremendously, okay? The second thing you do is you take things like the things that make uh, DHT conversion more difficult, salt palmetto, pygium, pumpkin seeds, all do that. But not as well as pure as a proscar, which is an alpha reductase inhibitor, or avidart, which is another more powerful one. But when you put all of it together, you might get a synergistic effect. Always with the concept of using less medication is better. There's some side effects. I know there's side effects to aromatex, aromatex, aromatex for example. Right. Are there side effects to alpha reductase inhibitors, pharmaceutical ones? And if so, how how do you decorate somebody's approach with things that can, for example, I believe with aromatex, one of the side effects is bone loss. So then you're going to need to give something that's going to help to alleviate that side effect. How do you approach that? Alpha reductase. So you're talking about alpha reductase inhibitor or aromatase? Both. They both, I mean, the way I understand it is pharmaceutical uh, aromatase inhibitors and alpha reductase inhibitors have side effects. Because aromatase, your brain needs estradiol, both men and women. As a matter of fact, a large part of the testosterone that goes into your brain gets converted to estradiol to make a man think well. There's very, very clear research to show that both testosterone and estradiol are very critical in determining early onset autism if a child is exposed to too much or too little in utero of each. Okay? Okay. The aromatase, if you do not have, if you have an inhibitor or you don't have aromatase, from some of the studies we have in medicine, show that their bones weaken tremendously. They can't make a lot of bones. And there's okay. a genetic mutation in certain families reported in the medical literature in which we see that very clearly. If you have a mutation, you got it, okay? Mm -hmm. The people are very interested in those cases, but they're very far and few. But if you're taking aromatase uh, inhibitors like Arimidex for a long, long time, it's going to affect your bones because you can't get the estradiol to keep the bones strong. Right. Now, the other question was, does alpha reductase have any other effect? Well, the alpha reductase have very little obvious side effects. I have seen men who have gynecomastia. I've seen men who have had erectile dysfunction from it, but far and few in between, very few. Okay. Depending on the dose that we use, we found that certain doses will be above the level where you see problems. Doses given pharmaceutical recommendation is, has very little side effect. I've seen actually, it's supposed to be for people who have prostate obstruction, it's supposed to decrease the volume, and I've seen that by sonography in our office, but yet they have troubles with urination afterwards, so we have to stop it. So those are fewer cases, but in general, we don't see a lot of problems with that. The aromatex, uh, the aromatase inhibitors seem to have a little more effect, side effects. 
Now, we use aromatase inhibitors um, in men with prostate enlargement, too, because we know that prostate enlargement, not cancer, also has an estradiol component. Now, okay. David, you know and I know that young men in their 30s don't get prostate cancer. They don't have prostate obstruction. That's when their testosterone is highest. As they get older, when the estradiol starts climbing up, they're getting fatter, they're getting diabetic, the testosterone starts going down. That's when the prostate enlargement starts, around age 45. Okay? Yep. So we know it isn't just one hormone. It's many hormones interacting with each other. Some people like to use the term, the testosterone to estradiol ratio determines basically what you look like. Now, the one thing that I have been pushing for is when you see erectile dysfunction, that means that there's something changing in the smooth muscle of the penis within the corporal bodies of the penis. That also means that it's affecting your cardiomyocyte, which is another form of involuntary muscle. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so this gets this gets back to the testosterone affecting all muscles. That's right. And let me give you a very beautiful example. Uh, this was done in Sweden in 1979 by a, a fellow named um, Jan Torp. Okay, D J O R N T O R P, and then repeated by Triash T R I. A.S.H., who's a colleague of mine from Boston University, when they castrate an animal and they look at the penis cross-sectionally, guess what you see? Fat cell replacement of the smooth muscle. Now, okay, interesting. you give the testosterone back to the animal and the fat cells go away. Therefore, next premise I will bring to you, which is the biggest topic, and I'm reserving that in for my book, is testosterone is the inverse of diabetes. Testosterone makes sure that your blood sugar and your insulin doesn't get too high. Is that true in men and women? This is true in men. I have some very interesting situations where you've heard of polycystic ovarian syndrome. Yep in which they have a lot of testosterone, and they become insulin-resistant, the opposite of men. And the, there's plenty of good work being done because, you know, David, one of the reasons I am so passionate about this is when I was at Johns Hopkins in 1978, I basically witnessed the castration of 100 men in one year. Okay, it was because I happened to be in a study and I saw patients of a very famous doctor and I got a lot of calls just being at Johns Hopkins. People were looking for hope. But what I saw in that one year, 12 months, all those men is what happens to most men in a 30-year period. And it sticks in my mind because I'm one of the perhaps fortunate men who saw the whole thing as a fast movie forward. 
of what most people see as a gradual change. See, men's change are much slower than women, unlike menopause. But what I saw was abrupt andropause. Mm -hmm. And I saw them lose their muscle. I saw them not think properly. I saw their bones go away. And lastly, I started seeing that they developed the metabolic syndrome and eventually glucose intolerance and eventually diabetes. Okay. So the testosterone completely blocks the development of diabetes and all the symptoms of, for example, the smooth muscle turning into fat cells and the stuff that would normally take, say, 30 years of a you know, man's life from, say, age 40 to 70, it, boom, you castrate them, you get those symptoms immediately. Right. And there was a beautiful study from a man named Vidjuice. I think he was either, he wasn't at the Mayo Clinic then, but he took six men, young men, and artificially, chemically castrated them for five weeks. So what happened to them? They became andropausal immediately. And when they stopped it, they reverted back to their self. So when, let's, let's say somebody is producing too much fat, and their testosterone is low, let's just say in a man in this particular case, or a woman, whenever somebody's producing too much fat, they become estrogen dominant. Does the fat then act as kind of a gland that produces aromatase enzymes and other things that can inhibit the balance of hormones? Well, you see, the thing is, we now know the visceral fat especially is an endocrine organ. Okay. It is no longer regarded as subcutaneous fat. It creates havoc. And I'm sure you've heard of cytokines. Yep. And these cytokines inflame the whole body. So in some ways, uh, I came to California that time when I came to see you because we're working on a project called caloric restriction short term to arrest risk for disease and cancer. Okay, that's why when you do caloric restriction, not nutritional restriction, not volume of food restriction, nor texture restriction, but just the calorie count, yep. you will cause a genetic expression change within three weeks to six months. Due to the changes in the visceral fat primarily or, or all fat? Just from the caloric restriction, you prevent all this cascade of fatness and you stop and reverse every risk factor. Right. Including cancerous growth. It's not that the cancer growth are gone. They just stop. What's interesting is this, okay? I went to Okinawa to see Wilcox and Suzuki, the ones who wrote about the centenarians. Right. And they all... For instant access to hundreds of clips just like this one, please go to thebestdayever.com. That's thebestdayever.com.